Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today I want to talk about VUCA. Volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. And it seems to me that everywhere I turn, people are saying VUCA this and VUCA that and VUCA everywhere. So it's certainly out in the world at large. And as I track organizations around the world, it also seems to me that somewhere in the world, an organization fails about every other week because of one factor. Sometimes in retrospect, it seems like that factor should be obvious, but I don't think it is obvious to the individuals in the organization at the time. So why is it that if we're talking about VUCA, we are so poor at seeing and anticipating the changes that are coming ahead? Is it possible that we have our pace of change has actually outpaced our capability of coping with it. And more importantly, is there anything we can do about it? So my guest today is Mike Vesey. Mike is managing partner and founder of MDV Consulting, which is a leadership and talent consultant focused on clients in the UK, Europe, and Middle East. Mike has over 30 years experience doing both in-house roles as well as consultancy roles. And his specialty is senior leadership assessment, one-to-one executive development, some programmatic leadership inventions, and organizational effectiveness. And he is frequently becomes a trusted sounding board for CEOs and executive teams. He's worked with a range of the world's leading companies like eBay, Slaughter and May, Barclays, KPMG, American Express, the London Stock Exchange, Coca-Cola, Trivago, Skanska, just to name a few of the sample ones. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to have you here, and particularly important to talk about this topic, because I think everybody is so focused on the future and the chaos and the complexity and all the change and the pace of change, and what got you started on this topic of complexity and chaos? Um, well, I've always been quite aware of what's going on in the in the world, Wander, and we're only barely a, a month into the new year and new decade, and we're already seeing uh, or experiencing what you describe as this VUCA world, you know, the assassination of the Iranian general, creating reverberations around the Middle East, in, including very sadly the tragic shooting down of, a, uh, of an airliner. Um, Australia is on fire and an, an area the size of Austria has, has, has burnt, and I'm coming to you from London, where today the the UK leads the European Union and enters a path which has no real clear destination. And I guess many of our listeners today will have returned to work and uh, and be fully immersed again in all the complexities of work and juggling those demands uh, with those that they have outside of work. And the holidays might seem a distant memory. So it's because of all of that and this sort of awareness of what's going on both out there in the world, but also the complexity of our nearer world in the in the world of work. That, as you say, I was aware that um, that complexity was outstripping our capacity to keep up, um, and not just that people are out of their comfort zone, which I know is the title of your book, but people are saying. 
I'm in over my head or we're running faster um, simply to stand still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I certainly hear that. I have to tell just to share, you said um, Australia is on fire. I learned today that Dubai is drowning. They're in a flood stage, in the middle of the desert, they're in the flood stage, and it's caused by the Australian fires. How about that for complexity? Not to take us off, off track. So this notion that you said the complexity is outstripping our ability to keep up and that people feel like they're running at a maddening pace just mm-hmm. to stand still if they're lucky. And I think a lot are sliding behind. So why is that the state of affairs? What has happened? I know that there's so much going on, but is there something else that's happening here? Well, I think there are a number of sort of trends which are perhaps accelerating this rate of complexity, uh, probably multifaceted. But I think technology is a particular critical uh, one in that we've nearly now got, what, five billion human beings communicating with each other in real time. And we just didn't have that back in the day when, you know, messages were sent by memo or, or, or carrier pigeon. So this we're bombarded with information, the democratization of data is is both a good thing, but we've probably just got too much information moving so rapidly uh, around the world that it that it is difficult to um, yeah to keep to keep up. Okay, so I want to turn to one of your core themes, which is you believe that our systems for making sense of this world are outdated. Why do you say that? Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to sound a little irreverent here, uh, Wanda, to okay. my trade or prof- profession, um, but I think much of the thinking and technologies that we've been using to uh, evaluate or, or develop uh, leaders was really predicated in a, for a world that was much more ordered, more stable and more predictable. And as we've just been discussing, that that's not simply the times we now inhabit. Um, and I find business leaders are often saying things like, um, you know, we've got to scale Everest and we've got to hack through the jungle and really challenging, demanding uh, goals. And there's a lot of complexity out there. And HR all too often is still coming along with a picnic basket for a festival. Okay. All right. So what do we do then? Where do we turn? Well, I I, I think that that's that the orthodoxy that we used to see in in the sort of the the HR space was around looking at maybe someone's knowledge or or know-how, the expert knowledge worker that you uh, talk about. And this knowledge worker just can't know everything uh, in a world that's rapidly changing. And yet we're still in this sort of leadership paradigm that the leader is kind of expected to be all seeing and all knowing. And psychologists like me have typically looked at things like, well, what about personality type? But that doesn't seem to help us navigate a complex or ambiguous situation either. And even people who are super bright, super clever, they've really got the smarts. Um, they try to analyze the situation, but if the situation is unanalyzed, analyzable um, because cause and effect are unknown that's no good either so I think we need something additional and and you know about five six years ago we started to look at what is that additional thing about a person that might help them uh, navigate a world of complexity Okay. All right. I'll come back to that one in a minute. I want to pick up this notion of Uh a knowledge worker, something that I talk about all the time. We clearly need our experts. 
because if we're trying to move systems, change systems, turn processes upside down, attack a new market, have a new approach, I need people who understand how it really works, who are experts in the current state of affairs. Except that expertise then gets in our way, it strikes me, because I can't take that expertise understanding and apply it to something that doesn't fit in that model. It's not like I just get to bolt on a little bit more and a little bit more and hope that's good enough. I have to break outside the entire thinking. And that means now I both need my expertise, but I need to abandon my expertise simultaneously. That's a hard one to do, especially when I think most leaders believe that their value to the organization is having the answer, knowing where to turn. And you're, what you're saying in this is you can't know. It's not knowable. Indeed. And, and of course, although we've been talking about um, VUCA here, not everything is unknowable. So there is still a domain and a place for our experts where kind of we, we know what the potential solution might be. We can identify a problem and we can work towards that or where we've got some shared agreement about what is the problem and what might be the, the potential solution. I think the challenge comes when sometimes our experts don't play nicely with one another. And I think it's black and, and, and you think it's white. That can lead us into hot water or problems. Or when we tip over from the predictable world where uh, cause and effect are largely known to an unpredictable world. And it's in this world of chaos and complexity where expertise is perhaps less helpful. And indeed, it might even be actually our our downfall when we cling to things that we think we know, but invariably we make the problem worse. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a sort of sense of, especially facing a massive, complex, chaotic, where it's not at all clear what's cause and effect and which way is up and which way we should move, that you want to turn to somebody who has some clue about it. And so even if the experts don't know, I think there's a pressure from the system to make it up. Give me your best guess. Yeah, Um, yeah. And we cling to hope without being able to kind of step away from that and see in a completely different world. Okay, so Mike, if we're going now into this world where it's unpredictable and it's unknown, we haven't been here before, nobody else has been here before, and our old ways, whatever those systems or processes, are not going to work, what's the additional thing we now need to be thinking about and developing as leaders? So my take on this is we need to look at a different facet of a person, and that is how they make sense or they make meaning um, in the unknowable. So they're not using skills, they're not using their past knowledge, but they're, they're making judgments about how they construe or understand or make sense of, uh, of what is happening, life events, relationships, even themselves. And this facet of a person, we would call their meaning-making system um, or sense-making system. I'm going to use those terms interchangeably, although some of the purists might tell me off for that. Um, But this is a, a different facet of a person that we think is particularly useful for navigating contexts that we haven't seen before and therefore is worth evaluating in a leader and developing in in a leader. So give me an example of what a meaning-making system is. 
Yeah, so we're really looking at how um, uh, someone perceives a situation, um, the rules that they might be using to uh, look at a situ uh, situation, uh, how much they're able to start to see shades of grey or colour rather than uh, ju just black or white, and, and how much they're inquiring or inter interrogating their own beliefs, values, internal system for judging the world and, and um, judging themselves. Okay, and can you give me an example of a person and a situation and describe what their meaning-making system looks like, just so it becomes a little more tangible? Yes, yeah, sure. Well, I think let's let's take the expert, given we've, we, we've started uh, with that, and that is in, in some of our uh, taxonomies, that, that is a, a, a form of mind. So the expert often looks at a situation and says, there's a right answer. And by definition, there's a wrong answer. Um, and therefore, that can be super helpful when we're looking at a, a simple situation or a, a situation where there is, um, you know, there is a, a common agreement about what is the, the, the right solution. Um, but it trips us up when we've got disagreement or the experts don't agree with with one another because it starts to become very black and white i'm right uh, you're wrong it doesn't allow for um uh, for any uh, nuance or different perspectives to come into the uh, come into the solution and if it genuinely is a complex uh, issue we might latch on to something in the belief that that's the right solution and invariably we as i say we end up making it and making it worse so that very expert focus on right wrong there is a solution and i know what it is and we go hell for leather charging in in, in that direction and usually it's only at the point of failure when someone new comes along and says, well, you've been going in the wrong direction and, you know, we have to turn about. Okay. All right. So um, a belief system, if you will, and a training, if you will, that says, I know how to analyze these kinds of situations. I've done this before. I will do the analysis. I've seen it before. This is just like another situation. And here's the right answer. And then we go about trying to persuade everybody else that my rational thinking, my view of the world is the right view. And uh, one of the things that I see in complex situations, in particular, a lot of my clients now are talking about collaborating. How do we collaborate? One of the problems with the collaborating is I have an expert in an area who has a view of the world, and I have another expert in another area who has a slightly different view of the world, and they can't come together. It's not that either is right or wrong. It's just they can't understand each other's different view. But that's what you mean by a complex system where experts believe they're right, and there isn't a way to step out of that to see an alternative. Am I on the right track? You are indeed, Wanda. Yeah. And I think both people are hanging on in that situation to their version of the truth, not recognizing perhaps that there might be multiple versions of the truth here and that there might be merit in seeking a solution that transcends or incorporates both versions of the truth rather than arguing with one another as to whose version of the truth is, in fact, the, the correct one. Well, or who do I trust or who do I want to be involved or who do I want to not be involved? And then we get into all the crazy stuff that we know happens in organizations all the time for very good intentions. This, Mike, this reminds me of years ago, I was working with one of the automotive companies 
who was striving very, very, very hard to make sure that their focus was on customers and customers were satisfied with the products and the experiences and the services they were getting from the automotive company. And they had been preaching this mantra and everybody supposedly aligned on incentives and so on. And what they missed, in my view, is how complex the system was in actually getting a car designed, produced, sold, delivered and serviced. And if you look at the engineers, they would be um, rewarded and focused on making sure they've taken all the errors and variables out. And manufacturing would be rewarded and produced for making sure that there were no um, faults or flaws in the production. So we want the production absolutely systematized. And marketing or the design group would be rewarded for coming up with a new feature that's going to make customers super happy. Those three cannot sit together comfortably because there is no single solution that makes all three of them right. And all three of them are correct. And there you go. Complexity uh, writ large on this one. So Mike, how do we begin to understand uh, our own sense making system. I mean, how, how do I get in my own head to understand what's in there that I might want to take a look at and question whether or not it's good for me? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, this meaning making system or sense making system is often a facet of a person that is, is very hidden in a way that some other things, you know, behaviors, personality traits, we can see quite often. In fact, it's so hidden, it's very rarely talked about. And a person might not even be aware, in fact, most people probably aren't, of their operating uh, system. So the, the endeavor we've set ourselves is to really open someone up and look inside uh, and bring that operating system, that sense-making system, out into a known domain so that someone can see it and start to interrogate it and think, well, how might I develop that um, rather than seeing it as a, a fixed operating system like on my smartphone? You know, I, I need to upgrade that operating system to meet the demands of the complexity uh, out there. So we're interested in looking at what is your current meaning making system and how might we support and help you to grow that operating system if you're noticing that you are in over your head or uh, struggling to keep up or um, yeah, you're not in a very comfortable place in, in terms of navigating the complexity that's out there. So I can imagine that this is a very complex and very individually driven, so that it's not something you can just say step one, two, three, four. But even with that, can you give me a sense of what it, how you, you know, give me an example of somebody, how do you help them see, begin to see their operating system so we can decide if it needs an upgrade or not? Mm -hmm. Well, we've got a range of, of, tool, uh, of tools and questionnaires and approaches we can use to um, analyze or evaluate or identify the, the, the current um, meaning-making system. Um, but I don't think it's much help just to be able to tell a person, well, here's your operating system and you know, it, it's not currently uh, sufficient for the, the, the task before you. That's not a terribly helpful message. And I think there was a lot of uh, what um, psychologists used to do in 
in the past where we would kind of say to someone, well, this is how you've scored on an intelligence test and sorry, it's rather fixed and, uh, you know, that's it. Um, the thing we know about meaning making is that it's possible to grow your capacity to think and relate and manage yourself in more expansive ways. So this is a message of hope. So once we've identified where someone is, there's a number of things we can do to actually support them um, on a on a growth path, a, a development path. And uh, for any listeners, I'd point them to the excellent work that Nick Petrie from the uh, Centre for Creative Leadership has done here. But he hi highlights three conditions that we can kind of create in the classroom or artificially that sort of mirror the experiences that humans go through during their lifetime. Um, and the three primary conditions that he talks about, number one, creating some heat. It's only when we're slightly out of our comfort zone or feeling that the heat that we start to realize that maybe we're not quite at meeting the requirements that are out there. And that realization offers a a doorway into seeing that, well, maybe I need to do something about that. Because if we're trundling along quite nicely, we, we don't see the need to change or develop. So that's condition one. We can create some, uh, some heat and open the doorway. Once we've done that, then we can start to offer some alternative perspectives. Uh, and if we're working one-to-one -one in a coaching situation or a development program, we can offer people some tools, habits, practices that start to stretch their thinking, how they relate to one another and how they think about themselves, that start to move them more developmentally into a new space. And then the third and final ingredient is to support people to consolidate their meaning making at that new elevated position so that they don't revert or, or, or slip backwards. And that can be done via a mentor, a coach, um, a journaling, keep it, keeping a diary to really reinforce the learning, uh, as I say, rather than slip back. So we, we know that there are some proven techniques to, to help people, in fact, grow their meaning-making system. Okay. All right. So if I can figure out what it is and I can figure out where it isn't as fit for purpose as it could, could be, there is hope mm -hmm. that I can grow the capacity, that I can begin to think differently. So let me come at this a different way. There is so much happening out there in the world, um, some of which is we might be able to immediately see the impact on the business and some of which we may not immediately see the impact on the business. I think there's a tendency to just put my head in the sand and say, oh, well, those topics are too big for me or they're above my pay grade or they're not immediate. So let's focus out in the emerging world outside our organizations and how do we begin to to understand how we make sense of that world out there things like cybersecurity or immigration for example what's our strategy there yeah so because i'm glad you pulled me back there because i i, I could get a little psychological so in the first instance i often point people to a, a sense making tool that's called the kinevin framework uh, from dave snowden and this is a super um easily digestible tool that i often use with um uh, leaders and, and managers and it essentially looks at the relationship between cause and effect and it has a number of different domains or, or habitats and you can use that framework to really look at the problem or issue 
that's before you and identify then the appropriate uh, action to, to take regarding that uh, topic or, or issue. So if we take something like you've mentioned about, uh, say, um, global migration, immigration, I mean, that's a, that's a complex uh, issue. And very often what we want to do is we want to analyze it and stuff it into the simple or obvious uh, domain because, you know, that's easy. And we, we think we can solve uh, immigration or global migration with build a wall or a fence or, or tighten regulation. But that doesn't actually solve the reasons why people feel compelled to move. And in fact, we probably make it worse by driving the problem elsewhere uh, or people into more desperate measures. So that's a classic example of where we take a complex issue and because we don't really want to understand the complexity, but kind of as human beings, we don't like a lot of ambiguity or complexity. We reduce it to a simplistic solution. And as I say, invariably, we, we end up making it worse. Okay. So how would we take something like immigration and think about it in a different way rather than just that simple domain? Yeah. So I guess with any um, of these complex issues, there is a bit of it that potentially is simple and obvious. And where we've got common agreement about something we can do, um, yeah, go go for it. So we're not trashing all of the uh, of, of the old techniques there. There might be a bit of the problem, which is what we would call complicated. This is, it can't be reduced to a, just a simple action or a soundbite, uh, but we need some experts to kind of look at this. And this is the domain of the expert, the person who's got the technical knowledge where if we work through in a step-by-step way, we can kind of model or work through what a solution might be. And there's probably a facet of any problem that falls into that complicated or expert domain. The problem comes with the complex um, bit of the uh, of the problem, where we've got disagreement about what is cause and effect, and that we've got disagreement then about what is really going on and, and what the solution might be. And in that domain, we need to experiment because we're not quite sure what is cause and effect and what is going on. So the mantra there is to tread gently, to set up a series of I- experiments and and start to see what starts to transpire and we might run three four five experiments um concurrently to to see what sort of data we get um but very often in organizational life and in the world of government we're a bit impatient and um and we want results quickly or we say well we can't really um uh, experiment because there's too much at stake here and that that forces us then to reach for the simplistic solution and as i said earlier wanda we, we invariably make it worse so recognizing you've got a complex problem on your hand and actually saying this is a different um, uh, different issue. We can't reach for a simplistic solution. We're going to have to try a different way of navigating our way through this. And that means setting up some experiments first, just suspending judgment until we get a, bit of, a better handle on what is really going on here. Okay. Now, presumably, um, I get to the complex, understanding it's complex because I've gone to the experts and I've realized that that doesn't work either. Or is there a way to know if I'm in a complicated or a complex, if I'm in an expertise complicated system or a complex where cause and effect is unknown? How, how do I diagnose that? 
I mean, one of the acid tests, I think, as to whether you're really in complex is if you get a group of people together and there's no agreement about what is even the issue, let alone the solution, invariably we're in we're in complex because, you know, we've got a high degree of variance as to as to what people are saying. If the sort of experts that you assemble in the room are kind of saying, yeah, well, I think this and I think that, but but kind of we, we can see a way of coming together and playing nighty and working through, you, you know, you give us a couple of uh, months and set up a project, give us some resources, we can model that, we can see a way through that, um, then you're in the complicated space. And the, the role of a leader there, I think, is to get the relevant experts uh, in the room, get set up the ground rules for them to play nicely with one another and let them do their let them do their thing and, and and report back once they've got a potential solution for you. But isn't the risk there, Mike, that we just go to the experts I like and trust, who largely have the same view I do about the world, and we ignore the experts who are the real disagreement because that makes it into now a, a complex system that we don't know how to get our hands around. Uh, undoubtedly, that that's a potential risk, and I think one of the capacities that we need to have when navigating complex situations is perhaps to think about our own pattern biases and how we relate to others, and how we join the dots and connect uh, people and ideas that don't necessarily conform with our own neat view of the world, and recognizing that for all of us, we we are making sense of the world through our own set of spectacles or lenses or meaning making system and are we are we constraining or narrowing the, the the problem so how do we get those divergent voices in the in the mix rather than see that those divergent voices are troublemakers or um, they're they're not on the bus then they're not with us all of, all of those old paradigms which maybe were helpful in a in a predictable world, but by using that way of thinking in the complex world, as you say, we're, we're probably ruling out a lot of ideas and a lot of people that might be able to contribute to a solution. So this is why having a very diverse set of people that you talk to, and I don't mean diversity just in terms of nationality or in terms of gender, but I mean diversity in terms of worldview. Some of those come together, some of them don't come together, where I'm talking to a broad range of people and I'm hearing um, different perspectives and I have people that I've engaged with whose point of view I'm willing to listen to, even if it's contrary to the popular opinion. Having that set to start with would be a really important place to begin facing an uncertain, volatile, chaotic world. Um, um, undoubtedly. Um, and I think many leaders can recognize, you know, they'll be listening to, to our conversation today and they will recognize in their calmer moments when that would be a good thing to have a diversity of views and opinions and perspectives because we're going to get a more well-rounded solution. I think the challenge comes when we're under pressure and we haven't got time and we need results or there's a crisis and all of that sort of rational thinking, that calm thinking that we can do now in the rarefied atmosphere of listening to this conversation kind of goes out the window and yeah. we don't want divergence. We don't want diversity. It's get it done. We haven't got time to, to mess about. And the person that raises those sort of divergent views is then seen perhaps as a, 
a troublemaker or um, is is out to disrupt things, and uh, we just want to crack on with something. Right. Right. Well, makes me understand why in our effort to get our hands around a problem, we make absolutely all the wrong decisions and the wrong moves. Okay. So, Mike, this strikes me as a perfect spot to take a little bit of a break. So, my guest today is Mike Vesey. He's managing partner and founder at MDV Consulting. He's held a number of positions both in-house and in consulting and works with some of the top leading organizations like eBay, Barclays, American Express, Coca-Cola, and we could go on and on and on on a broad range of topics. And we have been talking about in a world which is not as predictable, where cause and effect is not the same as it always has been, for whatever reason, that being able to rely on our experts to make a way through it isn't going to work. That what we need is to bring people together who have very divergent views and to do some experimentation there in order to begin to see alternative possibilities. And as we all know, time pressure, get it done. Thinking is yet one more meaning-making system that gets in our way of actually seeing what's in front of us. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about um, one more level of complexity, and then I want to talk about some habits that are going to help make a difference in this world. We'll be right back. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Mike Vesey, and he's managing partner and founder at MDV Consulting, um, doing a lot of work in the UK, in Europe, and in the Middle East, and I'm sure that expands out beyond just those three regions as well. And we have been talking about the world of VUCA 
And actually, let's take it out of that acronym and put it into something that's a lot more tangible to me, which is the notion of our understanding of what is it that is causing the uncertainty in the environment. So we can have a system or a process or a problem in which it is a fairly simple and ordered problem and the solutions that we already know are applicable to them. And in which case, what we want to do is use our traditional ordered approaches to thinking through rationally what's the next step and so on. We can also have a complicated problem, which if we put the experts together who have various different views, they could collectively, given a little bit of time, kind of come to a common understanding of what is happening and therefore what we need to do. But it's much more driven by experts, by breadth of experts, not a single expert. So it's not exactly known, but it is knowable, I guess is using my word for it. And from there, we move up to a complex system where we don't really understand what is cause and effect. And more important, we don't even agree on what the issue is really about. So any immediate system that we would say that is our approach, we would say is right or wrong, is going to get us into trouble in fact, may even make the problem worse. And in this one, what we need is divergent thinking. We need people who come at this from a completely different view, and we need to do some experiment to try to test and see what is really happening here, and can we really get a handle on what's going on. Um, And this reminds me, Mike, of some work that Richard Pascal has done on positive deviance. Where the notion is, if we look at the situation, the issue, from where's the deviant and what's actually really happening positively on the deviant, we can come to a different understanding of cause and effect. But that's notion of, I take diverse thinking, I do some experiments, and I can come up with a new approach that I now got to go test and see if that actually works. Now, there's one more level, which is the level you call chaos. So explain what that is and how do we know if we're in chaos versus one of the other three places? Yeah, Um, so chaos is not a place that um, we can really experiment in and we might tip a system into chaos just to, um, uh, to see what happens to really break things up. But normally what is happening is something that's been trundling along in the simple or obvious domain, it's all been working fine, it suddenly tips over the line and descends into um, into chaos. Um, And the example I often use here is is the 9-11 disaster. Planes were flying and air traffic control had everything under control. People knew where they were supposed to be. Everything's all working operationally. It's all fine. And suddenly something happens, it tips the whole system uh, into chaos. And here we don't have any notion of what is cause and effect at all. And of course, the first plane hits the um, uh, first twin tower and we're not quite sure what's going on. Then there's a second incident and a third. So the role of the leader here is to say, well, this is not a space to experiment. This is not a space to get the experts together and analyze what is going on. This is a space where you need to act first. And only once you've acted first and stabilized the situation, can you start to move the issue back around the the map into uh, complex and then complicated and back to simple and obvious. 
So what do they do here? The decision is taken, ground all planes in, in US airspace, just take everything out of the sky, first of all, until we have some sense of what, 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 is, go, what is going on. Uh, so that, that's the space of, um, of chaos. And it's very easy to, to tip from simple or obvious into chaos. And I think often we make the mistake of trying to shove it back from chaos into simple and obvious too quickly. And what the Kinevin framework enables us to do is to say, let's move it from chaos. And once we've stabilized it, then we can start to experiment and see what's going on because the fire is extinguished. Then we can move it back into complicated, get the experts to do their work. And eventually we might be able to move it back into simple and obvious. Sometimes we can move around that circle quite quickly. Other times it, it, it takes a bit longer. If I think about, um, we, it's easy to think about this in terms of disasters, but there has also been any number of company moves. Um, I'm thinking about some of the travel agents in the UK that have ended up with people stranded in places and don't know what to do, or a hot air balloon that explodes, or a whole number. It was easy, again, to think about disasters that cause this. I look at companies that I think have failed I think in some ways they found themselves in chaos and didn't know how to act, didn't recognize it fast enough and didn't take an action to stabilize. Is that your view as well or am I misguided? Um, undoubtedly. I mean, sort of natural disasters are things which can tip a system, you know, from simple or obvious into chaos. So a volcano in Iceland, you know, suddenly affecting all European uh, airspace, tipping the system into into chaos or in the UK, we're not very well equipped to deal with snow. So a little bit of snow, our transport system that has been running like clockwork, click, uh, quickly tips into uh, into chaos. But I think they don't need to be uh, disasters. It could be um, a, a financial scandal. It, it could be the, the exit of a, of a senior um, a, a chief executive that throws the, the system into, into chaos. It could be a technology failing. How how many of us rely on a, a banking system that is all driven by um, technology and is all app enabled on our smartphones when that goes wrong? People can't pay their bills. Suddenly they can't pay their rent. Uh, they're tipped into chaos. So simple and obvious systems can fall off a cliff edge very easily. And it doesn't have to be down to a, yeah. a terrorist attack or a natural disaster. Except I think there's a tendency to say, like, let's say the technology fails and we can't, the banking system isn't letting money flow. Okay. The tendency is to go fix that problem. Whatever it was that caused the technology to fail, fix the problem, and then we're back to simple and um, or um, pretty obvious, I should say. Everything's back to running. As opposed to step back and say, what else is happening here that we need to be paying attention to, and what do we do about that? So I think people want to drive back too quickly to the simple and obvious, I guess is what I'm speculating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because again, we don't like complexity. We don't like un unknowing. Predictable. And yeah. We, yeah, and we live in a world where you know we expect these things to work like clockwork, and consumers get very upset if they're 
plane or mm-hmm. train isn't arriving on time or they, they can't use their smartphone or, um, or pay a bill, um, uh, et cetera. So there, I think there is an automatic tendency to want to shove it back into simple okay. or obvious, sometimes too quickly. And we put a sticking plaster on things and maybe we're not really aware of, well, why did it fall over in the in the first place? Was it just a technology outage or is it a systemic problem that we haven't invested in yeah. our technology or we haven't invested in capability of our people over a period of, uh, of time that caused the, the, the failure or the, or, or the outage? We, we don't tend to mind for those more systemic issues or, or, or problems in our desire to fix and, and move on to the next thing. Right, right. Yeah, and sometimes we don't recognize the changes, the dynamics that have changed in the external world that are also affecting our systems and processes. So, Mike, let's turn from the talk about these, um, the Kinevin framework and the ability to move from one level to backwards to the next level so I get some sense of control. And I want to talk about about habits. What are the habits that we can begin to develop that grow our capacity to deal with the chaotic and the complex and the uncertain? Yeah, I I think habits is a really nice term here because we're not talking about new know-how or new smarts. We're talking about things that people can, uh, can learn in the way that they think about a situation the way that they relate to one another and the way we relate to ourselves. So I really like that term of of habit because we can learn new habits, but we all know from other habits that we have, um, breaking or, or getting rid of a habit that is no longer helpful and acquiring a new habit sometimes takes a bit of time and uh, an effort. And I think that plays to this idea of a of an upgrade of the operating system. We don't acquire a new habit like we put a new app on our smartphone. When we upgrade the smartphone or upgrade our PC, it it, it kind of takes a bit longer. I upgraded the operating system on my work piece desktop the other day, and I think it took about 15 minutes to do that, whereas yeah. I just uploaded an app that's done in a, in a blink of an eye. So that mm-hmm. gives an idea of the quantum between learning a new app and upgrading the operating system with one of these habits. And we've got a number of these that we we can help people with. Okay. So in three categories, um, habits about Mm -hmm. how we think, habits about how we relate to each other and habits about how we relate to the self. So give me an example. Okay. I mean, we've been talking about the Kinevin framework, and I think that that is a, a tool of a framework to catch yourself in the moment and think, just where is my problem or issue sitting rather than rushing to to solve it but if we if we move on from that some of the other useful tools we use in the thinking uh, domain often we're programmed to think in very linear terms if this then this, then this. So some of the tools we use are around helping people to see multiple cause and effect. Um, And we use a tool with lots of post-it notes and we get all of the factors and we get people to spread them out on a on a whiteboard or or a post-it and think what is causing what here and the thinking shift that we're trying to affect here with this particular tool is to see more of the system rather than only to see a little bit that's at play um, more of what's at play and if you can see more of the mountain this is the analogy i use you're more likely then to be able to identify 
What is the first step to take? So systems thinking, looking at nonlinear relationships, particularly helpful in the thinking domain. And the other uh, tool or technique I particularly use in the thinking domain is this idea of navigating uh, polarities or dilemmas. And for experts, as we were talking earlier, who are wedded to their version of the truth, black or white, helping people to see that there is often an opposite end to that dilemma and how do you get the best of both in the solution rather than an either or solution is, again, quite a a powerful or a useful thinking habit or tool to get people in, in into the yeah, habit of thinking. All right. So now, Mike, this plays really well to something I believe about leadership and about personality. I know you've put this in terms of thinking. They're related here. This notion that we have a view of how I should behave as a leader and what I'm supposed to be doing, and every action you could name has an opposite. And let me give you an example. I should run a well-ordered, structured system where everybody knows what they're doing. But the polar opposite end of that says we're not innovating. He's innovating, is thinking about it all differently. Um, I should, another example is, I should work in a way that pushes people and challenges them and, you know, sets really high standards. But if I'm doing that, what I'm not doing is the polar opposite end of that is really taking what's unique about that individual person and the special circumstances they're into account. I'm not being a little gentler with them, if you will. So we see that in leadership, but you're thinking about this in terms of much bigger, in terms of your thinking. So can you give me an example in a thinking polarity? Just one. Um, I mean, I think you've touched on a number of there. I mean, one would be something like empowerment versus control. And, you know, it's become very fashionable to say, hey, you know, leaders should empower people. But there are some times when we need control and certainty in our system. And rather than sort of paint on, oh, hey, the direction of travel is we've all got to be more empowering. I prefer to look at it um, in the thinking domain to say, how do we get the best of both of both control and structure and discipline and empowerment, order and innovation, individuality and some semblance of commonality. Yeah, the best of both. Um, of, all, of, of all of those rather than this either or um, okay. as I should be being, which is at one or other end of, of, of that dilemma. Okay, great. Or another way to say is which way do I need to be under which circumstances? Uh, yes. And am I able actually to transcend as well yeah. uh, to, to get the best of both rather than just see it as a right. sort of zero sum binary thing? And, you know, we're living in quite polarizing times. And, and that's where you, your um, your car auto example earlier, you get one department that's operating at one end of the polarity and another uh, department that's operating at the other end. And that then becomes polarizing in our system. So if we can bring these two groups of people together to say, you are both right and there are advantages and disadvantages of being at either end of that polarity. How can we work with both of you groups now to get the best of both and make sure that we don't get the worst of both in okay. the solutions that we that we generate? Okay, so three lovely three lovely habits to begin to get us to think in a different way. So a systems thinking, a nonlinear thinking, a navigating polarity, and the Kinevin, as we've already said. 
said. How about some habits that help us change how we relate? Yeah, my favorite here is is a perspective shifting exercise, or we sometimes call it the empty chair exercise. And this encourages people to move from my own perspective, position one, to go and sit in the chair. And sometimes I get people want to literally moving around the room, go and sit in the chair of the other. And what does that feel like? What's your sense of what is going on for uh, that person and where they're coming from? Uh, And often speak from that, that person's voice. And then I get them to stand up and look at both chairs and take them to position three. And I say, with this detached perspective, what do you now notice about the dynamics that are going on between person one and person two. Um, And that's a really useful um, fiddling with someone's meaning making system to help them to start to empathize uh, more effectively with another and step back and notice the relationship dynamic. And that's often quite difficult when someone is had by a situation. I was coaching a a super senior uh, lawyer yesterday, fantastically, very uh, bright and clever, but there's so much heat in the, um, uh, in the topic, it was difficult to get out of position one and and, and move to position two or, or position three. And, and we did that exercise really to get some new insights in terms of what might be going on uh, in terms of the relational dynamics and, and what could she use then to um, have a, a better or a different type of conversation. Okay. All right. So, Mike, you've got literally two minutes before we're out of time. Give me one more habit. In the relating or the the self-wonder? Pick your favorite. Um, Okay. I'm going to go with Bob Keegan's immunity to change. So we've been talking about change, navigating the the VUCA world. Um, What Bob identified is why is it that bright, clever, expert people who say they really want to change find it really difficult? And he identified there's usually a competing commitment that's getting in the way. And I find that a really powerful habit for identifying what is the thing that's getting in the way, the belief, the fear, uh, the stopping people making a, uh, making a, a, a change. And the beauty of that is you can really see some light bulb moments for, for people as they identify a belief that they've been carrying around for 35, 40 years um, and, and how it's no longer helping them. Jennifer Goldman Wetzler talks about this as a hidden value. What's the hidden value that you're carrying around that is you're not willing to even admit to yourself, let alone admit to anybody else? And how does that keep you stuck in the dynamics that you're stuck in? Similar idea. I think that's fabulous. Okay, Mike, um, I think this is fascinating because I think we are not talking enough about how we approach the complexity, the chaos, the unknowns that are facing us. And I think there are plenty of them out there. I think anybody can turn and say, what are all the unknowns? And I really like this notion that there are some habits that we can begin to use on a regular daily basis, particularly when we find ourselves in a place where cause and effect is not so clear anymore and to begin to analyze 
alternative views, alternative ways, alternative dynamics in the relationship, alternative ideas to the self. So, Mike, there's no way I'm going to summarize that any better than in that one segment, but while very powerful. My guest today is Mike Vesey, managing partner and founder of MDV Consulting. Um, And as you've heard, he works with lots of senior leaders, both on assessment as well as individual development and in group activities and organizational effectiveness. Mike, thank you for being a guest today. Thank you very much, Wanda. It's a pleasure. And join us next week for more wisdom on getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.